This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Back to the church. He said, I go to some churches and they talk all about Jesus, but very little about the world. I go to other churches and they talk all about the world, but very little about Jesus. You seem to talk a lot about Jesus and a lot about the world. I know lots of people like me in this town, and I don't need to find more of us. Here's what I want to know. If I hang out at your church, will I meet people who are actually like Jesus? Let that sink in a minute. Late 20s musician, starting to ask questions about life. And he says, I know lots of people like me in Berkeley. I don't need to find more of me. Here's what I want to know. If I hang out at your church, will I meet people that are actually like Jesus? So that is a convicting question. I'm not sure how we would answer that. But he breaks, he brings up a great point that the disciple of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, the believer of Jesus is called to represent Jesus, not to just talk about him, uh, not to just know about him, but to live like him in such a way that an outsider coming in with lots of questions could say, I know all about people like me. I'm not interested in that. What I want to know is, are there people here who are really like Jesus? And if they were, my question, not his, what would they be like? What would they look like? What would they act like? If someone, a follower of Jesus, is to represent him, what would we look like? Well, it's interesting. Jesus answers that question uh, for his disciples, and that he makes the point that a disciple will be like his teacher and will reflect his teacher. This is what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's answering the question the guy was asking, that that if you love one another, people will know you're a follower of me because you will be acting like Jesus. You will be acting like me. And the passage we're going to look at today, Romans 12, 9 through 16, is a passage where Paul is writing at the end, towards the end of this uh, wonderful, amazing theological letter where he has described uh, how God saves us in Christ by his love and by his grace. And now he's to a point where he's talking about what does that look like in the life of a believer? And in verses 9 to 16, he talks about what love is to look like among his people in the church at Rome and us as well. This is what he writes, Romans 12, 9 through 16. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent 
in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The passage is talking about real love, authentic love, genuine love for Christians. Now, next week, we're going to talk about loving people that don't know the Lord because we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we have really two kinds of neighbors. We have believing neighbors, unbelieving neighbors. Um, And here he's talking about specifically loving Christians. How do we know that? He starts with saying, let love be genuine, but look at verse 10. Love one another. So he's talking about the people in the church. Love one another with brotherly, your brothers, there's the family with family affection. Look what he says next. Outdo one another. So this is talking about one another. Uh, Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That is other fellow Christians, other disciples. Take care of them, meet their needs. So it's it's a passage that's talking about how we are to behave together. I mean, the the verses that follow this talk about how do we relate, particularly to enemies. But here he's talking about how do we relate to those with whom we are in relationship with. And the theme of the passage is really what does genuine love look like? And it's just sort of rattling off various commands. The first verse, let love be genuine. Various commands that describe genuine love. Now, it's important that we don't just start and pick up a passage and start saying, okay, I've got to do what it says I am supposed to do. There is a context to it. The chapter starts off with verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. So everything he's going to say following it is based on the mercy of God. And he doesn't introduce love here in this verse. Love comes much earlier in the book. We read, for instance, in Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So love ultimately springs from God who died for us in Jesus Christ. That's where we find love. Therefore, let your love be genuine based on his love for you. Or in Romans 8, where he's making points that God's love is permanent for his people. It cannot be changed. It will not go away. Verse 31 if God, Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. Speaking of him giving himself for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing can separate us from God's love. Verse 38, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers. That means anything. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what Paul's been saying. God loves you. He demonstrated in that while you were a sinner, Christ gave his life for you. And not only did he die and give his life for you to show you his love, but you cannot detach yourself from his love. It is permanently affixed to you. God loves you and nothing will separate you from his love. Now when we get to verse 9, let love be genuine. We must have that in view as the responding point. 
got some wise counsel when I was in seminary. I remember one time a professor said, this is good for interpreting the Bible. It's about sermons, but it's good for interpreting the Bible too. He said, never preach a sermon that could be preached in a Jewish synagogue. Never preach a sermon. So if I stand up here today and tell you, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, love each other, be zealous for God, rejoice, I can preach that in a Jewish synagogue. What I can't preach is that love is that Jesus gave his life for you. And nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. So based on Christ's love for you and the new life that he has given you and the spirit which dwells in you, now you, empowered by God, motivated by the gospel, in view of his mercy, the beginning of the chapter, looking at his mercy, you go love one another. That's a church sermon because we're talking about Jesus. So we read these verses These commands, we read them in light of what Jesus has done for us, and we're called to obey them with his power. So the first thing he says is let love be genuine. It's a passage about genuine love. And the word genuine, uh, it, it literally means it's hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy in the original language has to do with sort of play acting, uh, wearing a mask, something like that. An actor would wear a mask, and uh, that, that's the root of a hypocrite. And here he's saying, let, let there be no hypocrisy. Let love be genuine. In other words, don't put on an act at church. Church is not the place where smiley people, all, we're all about smiling, that's great, but where smiley people show up and fake it. That's not genuine. He's saying, let love be genuine. Let it be real. Don't act like everybody's doing great if they're not, but be real. The church is a place of the sincere love of Christ to be on display. And we can talk about love as an ideal, but what Paul does here is he gives very tangible expressions of that love. He starts with, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love is about truth. Love is not just about general acceptance of everything and everyone. Love is basically truth-related, and love opposes, because it's the love of God, love opposes evil, ultimately, and love embraces what is good. So sincere love is going to hold on to what is good. It's not simply going to say everything at all times in all places among all people is okay. It's going to say it's going to be truth-based and truth-driven. That's genuine love. And then the next thing he says in verse 10 is love one another with brotherly affection. So I'm going to talk about several things of genuine love. The passage about genuine love, uh, let love be genuine. Several things about genuine love. Here's the first one. Genuine love is family love. Genuine love is family love. That's what he says. Love one another. This is what a disciple does. Love one another with brotherly affection. Or as the NIV says, be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. That's, that's family love. He's saying the people of God are supposed to be people who treat each other like family because that's what we are we are brothers and sisters and have a brotherly affection the church is family is what he's saying the church loves like family one author said that our love should be marked by a devotion that is characteristic of a loving close-knit and mutually supportive family that's what love in the church is to be like empowered by christ 
empowered by the Spirit, modeled after the love of Jesus because we're following him. And as we love one another, it's demonstrated that we really are his followers. So it's like a family. Now, if you've had a bad family experience growing up and your family of origin where you grew up was a terrible experience, then this may be hard to get your mind around something like this. Because you think if the church is like my family, I want nothing to do with it. Well, what's being talked about here is an ideal family, a healthy family, a godly family. And the good news for you is if you grew up in a family with a lot of hatred and a lot of problems, maybe even abuse, dissension, division, you know, separation, all this kind of stuff. If you grew up in a family like that, the good news is in the church, you can be exposed to families that are imperfect made up of sinful people, but families that are experiencing the grace of God. You can look and observe and hang out with godly families that can change your vision and change your perspective. And more importantly, the church can be your family. You can relearn what God's design is for family through the people of God. And so that's, if you had a bad experience growing up, you're not penalized or you're not left without help. God wants to redeem your vision of family, and he wants to do that through the imperfect family of the church. So love one another with brotherly affection. He's describing the kind of love you're to have. It's to be the kind of love that two brothers, two family brothers would have for one another, an affection. Affection has to do with the heart, the feeling. There's to be an We're not just supposed to tolerate people in the church. Actually, we're not even supposed to just like people in the church. We're to ask God to give us an affection that's like family, where I'm committed to you. I'm with you. We, we, are, we're, we have this bond together. It's not like in the world where I like you until you do something I don't like, and then we're done. You can't do that in family. You can't do that among brothers. You can do that with friends. You can do that with coworkers. You can do that with neighbors. You can say, I'm tired of you. I'm done. You cannot do that with family. And that's what he's saying. Live with a heart, an affection, a desire for family. Now, here's the thing about family. Families, uh, families can be messed up, right? Families fight. Welcome to the church. Families disappoint. Families have members that are selfish. Uh, If you're a young person in the room, have you ever had a disagreement with your brothers or sisters? When you're growing up, did you ever have a problem with a brother or sister? If you've raised more than one child in your family, did they ever disagree? Did any young one grab and hold on to a toy? Did anyone ever act selfishly in the family? Absolutely. And so in the church as well. Families can be quirky as well. Every family, uh, you know, every family, it just, most every family has an oddball in it. And if you're thinking that's someone else, they're probably thinking it's you. And uh, so that's family. Family, we just, we, we love and we accept folks that are different. Sometimes you think, how could we be in the same family? Have you ever, I don't know about your brothers and sisters or your parents. Have you ever thought that? How in the world can we even be in the same family? Man, I met your brother. I can't believe, you guys were raised together? You ever had that experience? So family members are different. But there is to be a family brotherly affection in the church. The, 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 the family, with all of its weaknesses, with all of its sins, with all of its imperfections, we have this deep connection. Why? 
because God is our Father and He's adopted us into His family so that because of His love, we can treat one another like brothers and sisters. I don't know if you knew this, but the most common description of a Christian in the New Testament is not Christian. I think the word Christian is only used a few times. That's not the most common designation. The most common designation of a Christian in the New Testament is brothers, plural, and that's inclusive. It means men and women. It means brothers and sisters. I mean, siblings is what it means. And so that is the most, when God looks down and defines a church, that's how he says, you are family. And so though we go through difficulties together, we are built with an unshakable love because we're joined together with God in Christ as brothers and sisters. So we don't get the option to just run, to just blow each other off, to just distance ourselves. We don't get that option because we are to love with the affection of brothers. That's to be the feel of the church. Love you like a brother, love you like a sister, accept you like my own sister. Listen to this description. This comes from some training material called Porterbrook, Porter, excuse me, Porterbrook Learning. This is how they wrote about this passage of Scripture. They said, devoted in brotherly love. A key element of family love, they're talking about the church here, they're talking about this verse. A key element of family love is or should be that it is a given. You don't have to be anything to be part of your family other than the child of your parents. You don't have to maintain a certain level of performance to stay in the family. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to do well all the time. You don't have to be physically attractive or intellectually smart. You just are family. You're not on a stage or in an audition room trying to be good enough. We are at home with the people who know us and love us. A gospel community should be a place where we enjoy and give that family kind of love to one another. Gospel community can be a place where people are allowed to be themselves. If that means our shortcomings and sin are on show, then so be it. Remember, we are committed to good love. The verse before, cling to what's good, avoid evil. They talked about that earlier. We did too. We are committed to good love, which wants to stick to good and hate evil. So there should be a challenge. It means between one another, uh, there is when there's evil. And there will be messiness, as there is in real families. But what we want to avoid is pretense and hypocrisy. Don't let your gospel community be a place where you pretend to be good. You are not performing. You are part of the family with brothers and sisters who love, care, and look out for you. That's the cry of every heart is to be a part of a human group that is a family where there's genuine love. That's what the guy in the opening illustration was looking for. That's what the guy who'd been around the block and whose life was asking big questions about life, that's what he asked the pastor. He wanted to know about this question. What are you people like? Are you real? Are you like Jesus? Because I don't see a lot of Jesus when I encounter his people. That was that guy's experience and perspective. Yet Jesus says, if you love one another, then people will know you're my disciples. If you have brotherly affection for one another based on the fact that we're joined together in Christ. Look at the language, devoted to one another. 
Maybe you say devoted to one another, loving one another with a brotherly affection. Maybe you'd be honest and say, you know what? I've been around Grace Church for a while. I'm a member. I've been around a while. And that's not what I feel from people in the church. I don't feel devoted. I don't feel like there's brotherly affection toward me. That's not happening here. When I was very young, in my young 20s, I had a year internship under a youth pastor who was really a great guy. Um, and he was very direct. I'm not real direct. That's one of my weaknesses. I remember one time a guy telling me, hey, we had a meeting and I walked out of your office. And as I was walking out to my car, I thought, I think he just corrected me, but I'm not sure. So that's not real direct. This guy was very direct. You never, never missed it. And uh, I'll never forget when a mother, now, you know, mama bear, when a mother is distraught about her teenage daughter, and she comes to this guy, this youth pastor, and she says to him, this is the church, and nobody in the youth group is reaching out to my daughter. They are not including her. They are not inviting her. They are not reaching out. To, you could hear the pain of the woman whose heart is crushed because her daughter is not being well-loved by the youth group. They are not reaching out to her, in essence, and what are you going to do about it, was kind of the attitude. They're not reaching out to her. This is the church. And he just simply said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Ma'am, who is your daughter reaching out to? That was his response. Low on tact, low on compassion. <laughs> low on tact, low on compassion, high, high on Bible. She's a member of this church. Who's she loving? Tell me what is she doing to sacrifice and express others? Because let's read this again. This verse does not say, in view of his mercies, let one another love you with brotherly affection. Be postured to receive everyone else's brotherly affection. For this verse, yea, it applies unto them and not unto ye. That's not what the verse says. It doesn't say allow other people to be loving of you because of God's mercy. It says you, the command is you love one another with brotherly affection in view of his mercy. You make other people feel like family. Now, if you're new here, I am not talking to you right now. You come and you expect brotherly affection and love from the people of God. If you're new here, you're exploring the faith, or maybe you already are a Christian, and you're just kind of kicking the tires and checking out the church. I am not talking to you. I mean, God's talking to you. You should love one another. But I'm not talking to you about this church and this culture of this church and our family. But to our family, if we're part of this church, then this is what God says to me. Make others feel safe. And what did I read? That The passage I read from uh, Porterbrook. Let others feel that they don't have to perform in front of you. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be real so other people aren't tempted to have to put on a show for your approval. Don't let others feel like they're constantly under your judgmental eye so that they live in a certain way that they could feel accepted by you and by everybody else. Let love be genuine. Be real about your own failures and weaknesses. Be real and create a context where others feel the love of God. 
make others feel safe because they are forgiven sinners just as you are a forgiven sinner, just as you are adopted, just as I am adopted, just like the only way we're in the family is because of what Jesus did for us and nothing that we did. And so now we are loved and we are in the family. And we're not higher than someone else. He's going to address that in the minute. We're not better than someone else. We all got in the family. Rebels, everybody's a black sheep in this family. And Jesus went after us and saved us and gave us new life. Now we're part of his family and we're called to love one another. And that doesn't depend on who's loving me and who's acting in a loving way towards me. I don't get a pass because everybody's not rushing to give me a bear hug and make me the center of the universe. I don't get that pass. I'm called to be secure in the love of Jesus so that I love one another with the heart of a brother sticking by one another, for one another. See, that's the application question here that the mom probably didn't want to hear and probably shouldn't have heard it with that tone and that that shortness. But that's what she wasn't looking for. She was looking for, poor baby, we'll all fall on the sword and everybody's against your daughter and we're really sorry for that and she has no Christian obligation whatsoever. Uh, That's probably the feeling, but that's not compassion and love. Truth is, we're all called to love one another. So here's the application. How am I asking myself, how am I tangibly expressing the love of God to others so they feel like family? If the church is made up of everyone who says, I want everyone else to experience my brotherly affection so they feel like family, guess what that church will be like? Empowered by the Spirit, if everyone came in not as a consumer but as a family member with in view, I'm to love one another genuinely because of my brotherly affection for them, that, that's revival. That's a place you will be turning people away at the door. There will not be room in that room to gather people if that's going on. Because like the guy in the opening illustration, that's what everybody longs for, to be known and loved, to be known and welcomed, where others are committed to you even, even when you show your sorry side, even when you show your sinful side, you're still in the family. That's how it works. Even when you blow it, there's grace and a pathway to reconciliation and there's family. What, 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 how am I helping others know the acceptance of God and my acceptance of an approval so that they don't have to perform to impress me or win my approval? How can I act in a way so that others know that I'm real, know that there's real love, they can have my acceptance because we are family, to love one another? That's the evidence that I'm a disciple, loving God and loving others. By the grace of God, empowered by God. The the next thing he says here is a very practical way to cultivate this. You know, what does this look like in practice? So it's not just ethereal, um, but how does it look like in practice? Well, it looks a lot of ways. Here's one way. Outdo one another in showing honor. One specific way a godly family, I'm talking about a human family, one specific way a godly family relates together is that they honor one another. In other words, they don't dishonor each other. They don't. They have fun, and there's time to fun and poke around at each other if that's a blessing, and that's acceptable in your family culture for sure. Uh, so there's a, there's a time to kind of play around with each other, but, but there's no serious harmful tearing down of each other. 
but an honoring and a building up. As the NIV says, honor one another above yourselves. How do we do that? How do we honor one another above ourselves? Well, uh, I think a simple way to think about it is through our speech. We speak honorably and respectfully to each other and about each other. The first one we're pretty good at. We're pretty good at in front of people's face being nice. But even still, it's proactive. I want to honor each other by the way we speak about others. Honor each other by the way we speak about each other. And when we fail, and we will. See, that's the thing. Family love. I don't Show me a Christian family where no one fails. And th- that doesn't... Show me a Christian family where no one's had an argument. Where everybody is loving 24-7. Where, every, where it is a line. Where the kids are lining up and elbowing. Oh, that wouldn't be loving. They're lining up and elbowing to do the dishes and to serve others. You know, that family... Where the greatest selfishness is who can lay down their life and sacrifice for one another fast, uh, fastest, you know. No, you get to lay down your life tonight. She did last, you know, it, <laughs> that kind of deal. You get to sacrifice. You get to sacrifice tonight. Oh, let me, let, let me, let me get out of myself and prefer others, please. Um, Every family had, the question's not, is the family perfect? That's not what we're talking about. It's how do we relate to imperfections? That's brotherly love. And so when we speak, if we speak inappropriately, we ask forgiveness, and the family moves on. But we can't show genuine love to one another if we are speaking ill, if we are gossiping behind their backs. This tears down not just, this tears down workplaces, this tears down extended families, and immediate families, I suppose, as well. This tears down churches. Uh, the, the, the kind of speech that is private, between people who are speaking of someone else and they speak in a dishonoring way. See, this actually is one of the only verses in the Bible where I'm aware of God calls us to competition. Everybody say, well, I'm just a competitive person. I've got one verse in the Bible for you, and it ain't about you. Here's Here's the verse. Here's competitive. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's the only verse. I mean, maybe there's another one, but I, I can't recall off the top of my head another verse that says... Try to be better than somebody else. Try to outdo someone in genuinely loving and showing honor to other people. I mean, this is all about others, isn't it? And so when we gossip, we are not honoring others. We are tearing them down. So we speak honorably to each other. Gratitude, respect, encouragement, pointing out God's work in one another's lives. We're to honor people publicly as well. We need to be careful about this because uh, there can be a sense where people are elevated. Um, certain people are regularly elevated, and then it, people get on a pedestal and we begin to idolize people. We don't want to. We want to avoid that. But we do want to recognize people publicly and recognize what God has done in their life and the testimony of their life. We don't want to keep that hidden. We want to promote the work of God, and that will come in thanking people sometimes for their their testimony, their example of serving the Lord. So it's appropriate to honor publicly um, in in a biblically balanced kind of a way, for sure. So that's, that's what he's calling us. Honor one another with speech, with heart. Show honor. Next thing he talks about, so genuine love is family love. I I almost just talked about that. But let me talk about the other things that are in here because they're very important as well. Uh, Genuine love is a fervent love. That's the next thing he says. Do not be slothful in zeal, verse 11. Be fervent in spirit. 
serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. I think this whole passage up to verse 16 has to do with community life. The reason I say that is because let love be genuine, verse 9, and verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. There is just this sense of community uh, affection in the middle of this, community love, rather, in the middle of this. So when he's talking about do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, verse 11, I think this is like Galatians 6, 9, where it says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Be, be fervent about this. I need fervency in this area. I need, I, need to, to have, I need to grow in this area. I'm preaching very much to myself this morning and feel that. And, and I want to grow, so I want to I be fervent in this area. I don't want to be slothful. That's what he's saying. Don't be slothful. In view of God's mercy, don't be detached. Don't be laissez-faire, just like what Kesarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Don't just be sort of like, well, whatever. Don't be whatever when it comes to loving others. Whatever. No, be fervent in zeal, serving the Lord. And, and I love these verses. Be, rejoice in hope. So may, may we be full of hope. You've got to have a lot of hope to knit your life, to, 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 to yoke yourself up, to use the Bible picture, to, to tie yourself together with humans, the people, the church. You've got to have a lot of hope. So, Lord, cultivate us in us a hope for your purposes. Um, be patient in tribulation. Welcome to the church. What family never has had tribulation, trial, difficulty? Be patient. Patient. God is at work. Be patient with one another. Be patient with what the Lord is doing in us. So that's all characteristic, being fervent in love, but patient in the difficulties. And then notice this, be constant in prayer. The only way to have hope and the only way to be patient, the only way to hope in the Lord and be patient with others and be patient in the midst of our difficulties uh, is to be constant in prayer be constant in prayer. That's really an application. One of the goals of this season of our life as a church, we always to be constant in prayer. But what we've done is we've cleared the church calendar this fall. And here's the application. We just said, everybody try to carve out time where you can be with the Lord. Uh, We're reading a book called Crazy Busy in chapter 10 is the key to the whole book. I, I wish it was at the first instead of the end, but it's at the end. Um, but read that book. We had a whole sermon on that about Mary and Martha and, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. The disciple sits at the feet of Jesus and listens and learns and is connected and his prayer, constant prayer. The only way I'm going to love others is by regularly sitting at the feet of the Lord and doing a couple things, reading his word and understanding Jesus, who he is and his love for me. And then understanding his call, which calls me to love others, the imperative command for me to love others. I will only do that as I am strengthened by him to do that. Otherwise, I'll see everything from my own point of view. It's all about me. It's all about me. But the scripture and prayer and communion with the Lord, that gets my eyes to say, oh, it's all about him and it's all about others. Because a disciple is someone who loves the Lord and loves his neighbor as himself. So we've been asking God what he has for us as a disciple. What, how can I use that time? What, what, how, how are you calling me to grow in love for you? Tangibly, how could I express love for you, Lord? We talked about our Sunday gathering. But there's other things. How can I express love for others? Lord, what are, who are you calling me to show genuine love to? Who are you calling me to relate to and to pursue so that they feel like they're part of the family? Who's on the outskirts that I could reach out to? And bring in. And even if I feel on the outskirts, who could I reach out to? Who could I reach out to and care for? Loving 
one another. Next week we'll talk about, as I said, loving the lost. But how's God calling? So fervent in prayer or constant in prayer calls us uh, to be regularly filled by God's power to do these things. So genuine love is family love. It's fervent love. It's a sharing love. Genuine love is a sharing love. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. One of the ways that genuine love is seen is contributing towards the saints or Christians, taking care of one another. Genuine love gives. Genuine love gives of time. Genuine love gives of abilities. Genuine love gives of finances as well. We are one body. Verse 5 up at the beginning of this chapter says, We're one body and we are members one of another. Genuine love takes care of the other needs of the people of God. I have seen this so many times in our church. I'm sure there's a lot where it's happened that I don't know. But I hear, and I get brought in at times, or I hear a testimony at times in our church where someone has taken care of someone else. I have seen multiple times where someone gave a car to someone in need, like a real running car. Like, <laughs> hey, this thing's dead. You want to you wanna tow it out of my driveway? No, no thanks. That's not love. You might do that to your brother, but we're not talking about that kind of, that's taking advantage of family. When we say brother love, we don't mean presume upon each other and take advantage of each other. That's how I do in my family. Well, that's not good. Um, but giving away a car. I mean, I've seen this number of times. Somebody has a real need, and someone takes their vehicle and gives it no strings attached to someone else. I've seen that. I've seen where people have provided very tangible things, home repairs, either fixed it or paid for it, paid somebody's rent when they were out of a job, practically taking care of the needs of others. And that is a tremendous testimony in the love of God. Because why would I do that? Because of Jesus' love for me and because we're family. And what do you do with your family? You take care of your family. You take care of your family. That's what he's saying. Contribute to the needs of others and show hospitality. Probably in this culture, hospitality had to do with providing housing for people that were traveling and didn't have a place to stay. So he's probably saying, as other Christians come through town, let them stay with you. I mean, it wouldn't have had hotels to, to the degree that we do. Um, and many might not have had the finances to afford an inn or some kind of lodging where they were available. And so people needed hospitality. So care for one another's. But even if it's not having a, it could be having a stranger in the home, but it could just be sharing what I have, having people in my world. That's genuine love. Genuine love is inviting someone into your world to share in what you have in your home. And that's reality, especially when our kids were younger. Uh, and we would have folks over, and man, that is just reality because all of a sudden the mask comes off when everybody comes in and sees you in reality with, with the younger kids uh, where they're not old enough to fake it. Uh, we don't want them to fake it. I'm just trying to be real frank here. We're family. Uh, so when they're all young and everybody just, what you see is what you get, uh, it is wonderful to share real love and be real with each other as we get into one another's houses, those kinds of things. But he doesn't just share about practical things like taking care of, contributing to physical needs. Look what he says next, and we'll wrap up with this. Verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He says, here's the thing about real love. Here's what love is. It means that the experiences of other people become your own. 
The experiences of other people become your own. One author said, this, as much as anything else, is an evidence of the transformed life and community. Really transformed life is where I get out of myself and I look at you like family and what you're rejoicing in, I enter into that and rejoice. And what you're weeping over, I enter that and I weep with you. And here's my experience as a human and somebody who's been in the church a lot of years. We do the second one pretty well. If somebody dies, everybody rallies around. Somebody will make potato salad. Come on over. Okay, we all care for one another in grief. Somebody's in the hospital. Usually somebody will visit them. They'll pray. Somebody has a real need. Somebody, somebody has a baby. Somebody will bring a... You know, somebody, well, that would be a, that'd be a celebration. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong example. Um, Though if you don't get sleep at night, sometimes it may feel that way. But you, there's a problem. You are, we're gathering around. We're helping. We are entering into people's sufferings. I think we do good listening, praying. I think the challenge is entering into other people's celebrations. That, that shows real love. When I'm not married and she got engaged and I celebrate like it's me, that's love. When their child believes in Jesus and has their life turn around and mine is wandering and my heart is broken, it's hard to enter in. When I'm unemployed, when I'm unemployed and he just got his third promotion this year and I can't even get a pay, that's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. When she's reporting to you that her husband is repenting and taking such leadership in the family and caring for everybody and he is leading spiritually and sending her off for spa treatments and doing family vacation together and reading the Bible to the kids and investing in each kid's life, discipling them, and you're really struggling because your husband, who's a professing Christian, really shows no signs or very few signs of leadership in the family. To rejoice with that sister, to rejoice with those who rejoice. That 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 takes the spirit of God. But that is love, which says love means I enter into your world and what you are joyful about in the Lord of his provision, I share that. So every joy is shared and every hurt and pain and tear is shared as well. That's family. That's family. I mean, it's family. If you think about the human family in a best-case scenario, it's the family that is together in, in the most memorable times that are there for you. It's a mom taking care of a sick child. It's a mom taking care of a special needs child for years. That's family love. It's... Uh, it's a family gathered around a loved one's bed who is dying. And nobody else may be there, former bosses, former employers, people you grew up, they may not even know, but it is family that is right there suffering together. It's when you get the promotion or whatever, you graduate and your sister's there planning the party for you. It's family. And what he's saying here, what God's saying, is that's to be the church. The church is to live in this way. It is to be a sharing kind of love. It's a grand vision. The last thing is that it, I was going to talk about is it's a, it's a humble love, because that's where he starts. He closes. Don't be haughty, 
Don't look down on others. Be in harmony. It is a humble love. Genuine love is a humble love. That is the last point. We'll cover that another time. You can read the verses and cover it yourself maybe. In this passage of Scripture is my last comment. In this passage of Scripture, this is what John Stott, an author, said about it. He said of John of Romans 12, 9 through 16, Paul focuses on love as the essence of Christian discipleship. What's Christian discipleship about? It's love. What's following Jesus about? It's love. Embracing the love of God for us in Christ, believing, confident in his grace and mercy and his love for us, and then returning with love to him, and in this case, love for others. That's what Jesus said. When you're impacted by me to such a degree that you love one another in these ways, then people will look on and they will know you're following me because my life is in you and you've been changed. This is what God has for us as a church. So as we talk about our basics, as we talk about our core, lots of points in this passage that we can all apply. Think of one area where God might be speaking specifically to you, where you can go to another in honor, where you can go to another asking forgiveness, where you can go to another making, creating a, a relationship that feels like family, where you can go to another inviting them into your home or into your world where you can pray constant prayer asking lord how can you be fervent in love towards others find something from this message that you can take out of here today and and follow the lord in love because that is the very essence of our discipleship let's pray you've been listening to a message from grace church for more information visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org 